Welcome to the European Football Show on the World Football Index. I'm your host, Alan Feely, and today's episode is going to be a League of Ireland special. I'm very pleased to welcome Dylan O'Connell in Cork and Macdara Farris in Dublin. How are you, Dylan? Yeah, I'm good now. Uh, surviving a global pandemic, so quite good. <laughs> Macdara, how are things with you in Dublin? Good, Alan. Yeah, all used to working from home at this stage as we're months into this, so yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm very pleased to be joined by both of you. Uh, Dylan is a very... A respected expert on Cork City FC, the main club in the south of Ireland, and MacDara is the man on Shamrock Rovers, kind of one of the most iconic clubs in Irish football. Um, so to begin with, guys, obviously both clubs have enjoyed um, eventful seasons uh, this 2020, but I want to start off nine years in the past in 2011, uh, which is a big year for both clubs. Um, so for Dylan, can you explain what 2011 meant for Cork City? and how it's kind of fed into their current situation today? Uh, 2011 was like, I suppose it was like ground zero, but it was also a terrible beauty was born that year in a way of like, I suppose to tell the story in itself, uh, Cork City were owned by a chip shop, uh, were effectively owned by a chip shop. Uh, Lennox's chipper and the chairman, Brian Lennox, had sold the club to an equity firm from the UK called Arcaga. And... This guy, he'd come over, they'd met him in Turner's Cross. This is all in 2007, after Cork City had won the FBI Cup. But in 2008, there was f- the they got knocked out of Europe by FC Hacka, and the club entered examinership. The owners left, the club were left with debts. They finished off 2008, they won the Stanta Sports Cup, which is a cross-border competition. They beat Glentorn 2-1 in Turner's Cross in the final. It was kind of a nice story in itself, and it's told quite well in a book by... Uh, former city right back Neil Horgan, uh, death of a football club, where the club went so close to the brink that season because of Arcaga pulling out, and then at the end they were they were saved by uh, a local billionaire. I'm not going to say his name, or a, a local millionaire uh, who's a property developer. Then in 2009 there was a lot of issues with unpaid wages at the club. There was this, uh, players weren't getting paid. They were told, "Oh, your wages are coming in next week." They were two weeks late, three weeks late. It was. It was a season that seemed to kind of, it was before seasons put down into one. Uh, the players threatened strike action before a league game against Shamrock Rovers in October 2009. There was there was protest by fans at a league game against Sligo Rovers, where they wanted the owner out. They were saying Cork City's in the wrong hands. And this fans group were set up in the middle of this called Foras, which means Friends of the Rebel Army Society. And Foras were, were set up to safeguard football in Cork due to what was happening with the club in 2009, what was happening with the club in 2008, but also with an eye on the kind of historic history of Cork football. Like the first football club in Cork was set up in 1921 to play in the League of Ireland. And since that, between 1921 and 2009, eight different clubs represented uh, Cork in the League of Ireland. So you have like Cork Celtic, Cork Hibs, Cork, uh, Cork Athletic, Cork Alberts, uh, Cork Bohemians, uh, there was the offload around uh, in the league at some capacity. I think Bohemians was one of the names because uh, so Forest were set up and the city eventually went to the high court due to a debt to the revenue in late 2009, early 2010. And a city fan wrote a letter to a high court judge asking, saying that Cork City is more than just a football club. Cork City is a football club that belongs to the people of Cork. And the judge basically gave Foras ownership of Cork City, but gave them a first division license. So Cork City had been effectively f- saved by the fans. 
And 2010, they was like consolidating consolidating their place in Irish football. And 2011, they were kind of mid-table midway through the, the season. And they went on a late season surge. And it got down to the final game of the season where City had to win to win the first division title and get promoted to the first division. So they were 1-0 City, went 1-0 Shelburne, who had have their own story themselves with kind of something similar. And it got to the 94th minute, and Graham Cummins, who's only from Turner's Cross, cross went in, Graham Cummins heads the ball down into the back of the net in virtually the last kick of the game. And, like, Shelburne had a bottle of champagne on the sidelines. It was absolute anarchy, like, if you look at any of the, the footage. So the club, who had been bailed out by the fans, were now back in the Premier Division through a last-minute goal. So it was, that whole season was just, it was like the perfect fairy tale, considering where the club had been two years ago. But like, I suppose I say Terrible Beauty is Born, like because trying to reference the William B. Yeats poem of like, oh, something beautiful was born then, but like, something of how like it was fan owned, it was community driven, but also then they entered the Premier Division, which was a totally different entity. But they consolidated their place in 2012 and 2013. So, but everything goes back to 2011. It was just this madcap season of like the kind of the perfect ending to the story, which is actually told quite well in the Copa 90 video. Uh, Copa 90, The Rise of the Rebel Army. I would recommend checking it out. Mm, yeah, no, I think it's a very interesting story because like for context, Cork is a very kind of important cultural place in Ireland. It's kind of a very distinct city compared to Dublin um, and other cities in Ireland. And I think Cork City kind of represented the city for a while. And its years of excess and kind of maybe overextending itself mirrored the Celtic Tiger and the way things got out of hand there. So for the club to kind of reclaim its identity through the fans in 2011 and 2010 and actually gain promotion again with this kind of organic base was very satisfying for everybody connected with Cork City. Um, but in Dublin, in uh, Shamrock Rovers' is a corner of the world, uh, things are a bit different. I read a piece by you uh, the other day, Magdara, um, where you did have an explainer on Shamrock Rovers' uh, title success this season. And you said that in 2011, the last year they won the league title, they looked like they were going to go on to dominate um, Irish football for years to come. So I just wanted to, ex- if you'd explain to me the story of Shamrock Rovers in 2011, of that team, of the kind of optimistic mood that was around the club in that era. Yeah, 2011 is probably the the, the most favourite season of any seasons for Shamrock Rovers fans because of what happened in, in that year, which was to win the, the league title, to retain the league title that they'd won the previous year, um, to win the Stanford Sports Cup, the All-Ireland uh, Cup competition, and then to qualify for the Europa League. So Shamrock Rovers were the first League of Ireland club to qualify for the Europa League um the group stages of any European competition and Dundalk have, have gone on since then to, to qualify twice obviously playing this season as well and it was Dundalk that dominated since 2011 rather than Shamrock Rovers um, I suppose similar to Cork City you know Shamrock Rovers had a, a long journey to where 2011 was they are the most successful side in League of Ireland history but having sold their ground kind of controversially in 1987 they, they had kind of rented grounds from rivals all across the, the city and even played a, a home game once in Cork City, which is uh, uh, which was pretty low point for the club having to play a home game 250 kilometres from from where they were, where they played. Um, and they'd only won the one league title kind of during that period before eventually getting uh, their home in, in 
Tallah Stadium in 2009, um, having gone through relegation for the first time ever, having gone through similar to Cork City, having gone through examinership um, and have been saved by the fans. So the fans took over the running of the club. And in 2009, they appointed Michael O'Neill as manager, who was a really an unheralded manager at the time, the, the former Northern Ireland international player, um, who subsequently has obviously gone on to qualify Northern Ireland for the first time to the European Championships and is now managing uh, Stoke City. And O'Neill was manager in 2009. The Rovers went close to winning the title that year, but came up against a very good bohemian side. They won the title in 2010 and won it in 2011. And it seemed like Rovers were, were I, I describe it as being a peak Shamrock Rovers. You know, they really looked like they were going to kick on, but it, it really unraveled. Um, O'Neill left just after the final Europa League group game, uh, a 4-0 win for Spurs in Tallah Stadium. And, uh, Rovers appointed Stephen Kenny as manager, the the current Republic of Ireland manager, but it was um it was pretty much a disaster at Tallah Stadium for him. He only lasted the the nine months, and uh, subsequently he went to Dundalk. And rather than bringing the lengthy success to Shamrock Rovers uh, through the kind of twenty tens onwards, he actually brought it to to Dundalk. And it's been a slow burn from from there for Rovers to win that league title in. 2011 to get back to to winning the, the first league title in nine years just in, in the last couple of weeks with um, Stephen Bradley as manager who's been manager since kind of caretaker capacity in 2016 and taking on the, the full role in, in 2017 so yeah it's been a bit of a journey it's been a bit of a journey since then Alan mm, yeah for sure um, but just regarding that nine year period Cork City actually did win the league in that period and the double as well um, yeah. the FA Cup in 2016 so just Dylan, can you explain what was the kind of roller coaster between uh, gaining promotion in 2011 and uh, playing in the, the Premier Division as a fan-owned club in 2012 up until uh, 2020, up until this season? What what happened to Cork City in the intervening years? Yeah, um, so when the club were promoted, the first two seasons were literally just consolidating their place in the Premier Division. They did qualify for the Satanic Sports Cup in 2013, which was seen as kind of a major marker for progress for this club, who were still finding their feet under fan ownership. 2013, they got to the Satanic Sports Cup semi-final and lost out to a last-minute away goal to Billy Dennehy in Turner's Cross. They got to the last 16 of the FBI Cup and they finished sixth in the league. They It was a very kind of like hit-or-miss season. There were signs of promise in the club, which were... But there's also signs of like, eh, like they went five home games without a win. In the latter half of the season, they beat Derry, they beat Bohemians. They had a strong in the season. But in that offseason, they brought in this man, John Caulfield. So to anyone who doesn't know Irish football, John Caulfield is a legend in Cork football. He won the league as a player with the club in 1992. He played in the infamous game against Bayern Munich in 19... 19- 91 where Cork City drew one all with the Bavarians at Musgrave Park in Cork so Caulfield came in and his only managerial experience was managing at University College Cork and Avondale United and with the two of those he'd won the Munster Senior League which is kind of the regional league title in Cork and the FEI Intermediate Cup which is like the national cup competition for like amateur and semi-professional clubs so Caulfield's first season he put together a squad on a relative shoestring budget and it was the whole aim was just get back into Europe at the club so Caulfield's first game was against defending league champions uh, St. Patrick's Athletic and he puts out a one-all draw 
Then there's an injury crisis, and the striker steps up, Marco Sullivan, who was a builder from Ring of Skitty, and he ends up becoming this like goal machine for the club. Score, uh, I, I don't have the exact like facts and figures, but it was like this fan favorite striker who scored these headers against Athlone, who was scoring against Bohemians. It was like this whole squad. It was, it was just workaholics in the in the whole pitch, but like players who were either semi professional. There are a few professional players, and it was just win, 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 win. They eventually lost back-to-back games to St. Pat's and Dundalk, but they just kept winning after that. Like I think if anything sums up the season, they played St. Pat's in Turner's Cross in at the start of August, and it was the last kick of the game, and a corner ball went in and was headed on by uh, McSweeney. And Colin Healy, who was supposed to go to the 2002 World Cup in place of Roy Keane, Colin Healy jumped up and basically kicked the ball into the back of the net and City City kept the pace at the top of the table. And next thing the club knew, they were actually at the top of the table. And it, it went down to a title slider against Dundalk in Oriel Park. And they went 20 minutes away from winning the league title. And it was it was a mad season in itself. But so at the end of that, they just rebuilt. They signed Liam Miller, uh, who had played for Manchester United and Celtic. They signed... A few players from around the league designed Stephen Beattie mid-season and the next season they finished second to Dundalk and second in the cup. They rebuilt again and they kind of, a lot of the older players in the squad like Dan Murray retired, Lee Miller left. They brought in a striker who was trying to get his game at Dundalk called Sean Maguire. And in 2016, they won the President's Cup, which is the Irish for the Irish Super Cup. And that summer, they beat Linfield, who be the Northern Irish, the, the biggest team in Northern Ireland. They beat them in the first round of the Europa League. Then they played BK Hacken, who have a budget of 100 million. They beat them 2-1 in aggregate and got into the third round of the Europa League and played KRC Genk, who actually played Liverpool in last season's competition in the Champions League. And they were beaten 1-0 away to Genk, missed a sitter, went back to Turner's Cross and lost 2-1. And at the end of the season, they finished second to Dundalk, but met them in the FEA Cup final. And in the final, it was nil-nil. It was neck and neck. You could not separate these two teams. And then in the last kick of extra time, Sean Maguire against his old club put the ball into the back of the net. It was it was mental, like just looking at it from the outside looking in. The club had won their first like trophy since 2007. 2017, they went on this mental unbeaten run, winning 22 games at one point in June, based off some football index I was looking at, they were the most informed football team in the world. It was they had it was just win, 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 draw, win, win, win. They won the Irish Super Cup again. They won the Munster Senior Cup, which is a local cup competition for like the province of Munster. And they were in the semi-finals of the League Cup. And Sean Maguire was sold to Preston North End. This is when things start cropping up a little bit. So when Maguire left, there was, the club started lacking goals. The, like when Maguire left, the first game without him was a two, was a two one win against Galway United and Turner's Cross. But then results started kind of like being chipped away in this. In the form started being chipped away at. They lost three one away to Shamrock Rovers. They lost one nil to Bohemians. They lost one nil at home to Sligo Rovers. They lost four two against St Patrick's Athletic in in Chicor. They lost the the ES Sports Cup semi final to Shamrock Rovers, so it was like 
it was like the form they had. It was I don't know if they tired themselves out as a club or what, but they just couldn't replicate that form and gold certainly and gold straight up with that. So they won. They finished off the season of winning the FAI Cup in penalties, beating Dundalk. And in 2018, it was the whole squad was recon- was kind of was changed around. Coffee was telling himself how he had to kind of like rebuild the team due to players that were missing. And Graham Cummins, who'd scored the goal back in 2011 to bring the club back to the Premier Division, was was brought back. And straight away, there was this like burst of good form because of like they're coming off the back of winning the League and Cup double, something a Cork club has not done since the 1950s. They won the Air Super Cup. They won their first three games of the season and then lost it on Dock Up in Oriel Park. But they returned back to league action. They kept winning. They beat Dundalk in Turner's Cross. They beat Shamrock Rovers in Turner's Cross. They beat Bohemians away from away from home. They beat uh, Sligo Rovers. But goals started drying up slowly. And I think a key moment or key week for the club was in June 2018. They got beaten to Dundalk in Oriel Park with a last-minute own goal from Sean McLaughlin. And a week later, they drew one all with the Shamrock Rovers in Turner Cross. They actually missed a penalty in that game. And they entered the Champions League. So in the Champions League, two years previous, Dundalk had used, used it as a pathway into the Europa League group stages. So there was a lot of talk around Cork of, oh, we want that. We, we want to get into the Europa League group stages. Because there's this kind of sense of arrogance in Cork of, like, we want to be the best. And they got drawn against Legi Warsaw who had gotten to the group stages in 2016 and played Real Madrid and Borussia Dortmund. So they played Legi Warsaw in Turner's Cross and five minutes into the game, Barry McNamee misses an open goal. And it's this, it was a sense, a sense around the ground that night of, they could actually do this, they could actually get a result. But then with 10 minutes left, Legi Warsaw scored. Away from home, they're beating 3-0. So they went back to league action, they beat Waterford, they beat Bray. There was a sense of around the club of, look, Europa League. Europa League is where it's at. There was talks of where would they play the Europa League playoff round. And they'd also been given a bye because of they were changing around the how the competition worked. So they were sent straight into the third round. In the third round, they got drawn against Rosenberg, who had knocked out the year before Ajax in the playoff round of the Europa League and reached the last 32 of that season's competition. They got beaten by Rosenberg, 2-0 in turns cross and 3-0 away from home. And City exited Joe Orup and there was a sense of anti-climax. And as soon as they went back into, into the league, they lost to Bohemians, they lost to Dundalk, they lost to Sligo Rovers, they drew one all with St. Pat's. And straight away, what started what was a neck-and-neck title race with Dundalk, had Dundalk now very favourably in front. And it got to October... And it was announced that the club were taking a 300,000 euro cut to the budget for the 2019 league season. But they were adamant, John Coffey admitted, the club were still going to compete in the new season. So they closed off 2018 by losing the FEI Cup to Dundalk. And in 2019, they had completely freshened up the squad. Uh, Darrell O'Connor, who had won the first division with UCD in 2018, was brought in. Uh, Darrell O'Connor was brought in. Uh, Darrell Rainsford was brought in from non-league football. They had also signed, I'm trying to remember now the names off, off the top of my head, uh, Liam Nash, a striker from non-league in England, Dan Smith. They, they'd signed a mismatch of attackers to try and fill the void of goals that were had dried up. And they began with the 2-1 loss in the Air Super Cup to Dundalk. Uh, they lost the first game of the season with the St. Pats. They lost the next game to Waterford. And they were constantly chopping, changing the starting eleven. They weren't finding that winning combination. When they did win, they were very laboured wins, like a 4-3 win against the Finn Harps in Bally Buffet. 
and they got then results kind of slightly fell off a cliff. They lost to Dundalk one in Laurel Park. Shamrock Rovers got their first league win in Turner's Cross in six seasons. Then in May they lost to Derry City in the Brandywell. 2-0, yeah, I was actually up covering that game, and a week later, they drew th- with Finn Harps and Turner's Cross, and as a result of that, John Caulfield, who had been at the club for six seasons and won all that tro- all those trophies, left the club. So his assistant was brought in to replace him. There was a slight improvement of results, but then there was this basically back to square one. They lost 4-1 to Derry City. They lost to Dundalk and Turner's Cross, and then they entered Europe. And in Europe, they were drawn against Progress Niedekorn of Luxembourg, they played Progress Need the Corner of Luxembourg at home and they got beaten 2-0. But in between this, the draw was made of the second round of the Europa League and City were paired with Glasgow Rangers, which had this huge section of, just, just get, get, get through this round. We're playing Rangers in the next round. And they went away kind of with this firm in their heads, just win, all costs win. Comebacks happen in football. Liverpool had just done it against Barcelona and they won it up inside two minutes away in Luxembourg. And... It got to, got to two 0 in the forty fifth minute, and I was in the ground that night. And there was a huge sense of they're doing it, they're doing it. And City went gung ho forward to try and put the ball into the back of the net. I caught the counter attack. They got knocked out of Europe three two in aggregate. Came back out of Europe and they got beaten by Gobby United in the FA Cup, their earliest cup cup loss in five seasons. And Neil Fenn was brought into, brought in to take over the club. Neil Fenn had been a City legend who had won the league in 2005 with him as a player. He's also quite experienced in himself. He had played for Tottenham Hotspur. He played with the Irish under-18s team, who'd finished third, I think, in the UEFA under-18s championships in 1998. So he's quite experienced, and he was a talented footballer. So he was brought in. City closed off this, closed off the season in eighth position. Uh, they had a quite a, He had a quite a rocky start in Ilfen, but they finished off the season. They were saved, and that's it. This is when issues started going on in the background. The club were hit with a tax bill of 1,500 euros. And when there was a kind of media sense of how we're going to fix this. So with the club trying to like work through solutions and figure out what, what's the best way to do things, they went to their banks trying to refinance their loans. Their bank wouldn't fi- refinance their loans. They went to local businesses in Cork. Local businesses wouldn't, wouldn't help them. And this led to them getting denied a a license to play in the Premier Division in 2020. So what the club did was they went to Preston North End, who had signed Sean Maguire and a youth player, Alan Brown, wasn't it? Yeah, Alan Brown. Uh, they signed for. So they went and they asked to sell the sell-on clauses for the two players. And initial 199,000 euro deal was agreed. They went to the FBI. This was rejected, and they went back to the Preston who agreed to pay €450,000, but also agreed for a first referral to take over Cork City. And this was all two days before the start of the league season. A lot of this kind of came to its head. And Neil Fenn and his assistant manager, Joe Gamble, were told the game, the first game of the season against Shelburne mightn't go ahead. So there's a huge sense of what what's going to happen. And eventually they got given the license at the last minute. And the first game of the season, they got beaten 1-0 to Shelburne. And... It was a very mismatched squad. You had players on loan from Premier League clubs like Arsenal, Championship clubs like QPR. Uh, it was a lot of players' first games in senior football. It was made on a shoestring budget. The budget was cut considerably because they weren't in Europe in 2020. And the lockdown was called. The lockdown was announced in Ireland due to COVID-19. After the lockdown, Cork City, just they lost 
a number of players. They signed a few for this kind of dogfight of a shortened league's eighty a league season. Instead of playing each other four times, clubs will just play each other twice. Before the restart, City showed form. After the restart, it was like they were a team who were still getting used to playing with each other once again. Lost to Bohemians. They they drew with Waterford. They found a little bit of form, but they were just running out of time. Eventually, Neil Fenn got let go. The day after he let go, a fan favourite winger, Darrow O'Connor. And the season closed off with the club getting relegated from the Premier Division as the basement side. And about a week later, uh, no, about four days later, the, pl- the fans voted to sell, the Forest members voted to sell the club to Grove More Limited, the owner of Preston North End, for the nominal price of one euro. And that vote was last Wednesday. And next season, the club don't know if they'll play in the Premier Division because they could be re- rebuilding the whole leagues. The chairman was on with that recently. Or they could be playing in the First Division for only the second time in their history. So it's been quite a tumultuous, uh, I suppose, six years in Cork football. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. And, and Colin Healy is currently kind of in the running to be in charge of that senior team next season, right? Um, and he's a player who I've been really interested in. I always love kind of, you know, creative playmakers. And I remember watching him when City were promoted to the Premier Division in 2012 and just being kind of awed by his skills um, in a way that I haven't been by a League of Ireland player um, for quite some time. And I, I still hadn't been until Jack Byrne came into the scene uh, with Shamrock Rovers. Um, but obviously, uh, Jack Byrne and Shamrock Rovers are different to the Shamrock Rovers that uh, played from 2011 to quite recently. So, McDara, I just wanted to ask you, while Cork City were going through this kind of tumultuous relegation, uh, promotion, uh, cup wins, title wins, uh, what was Shamrock Rovers' stories from in, in most of the 2010s? And how did they develop to the stage right now where they have Stephen Bradley in the dugout and Jack Byrne in the centre midfield? Yeah, it's been a, as I said before, it's been a, like a slow process. So after Stephen Kenny uh, left the job in, in 2012, Trevor Crawley came in and was manager for a couple of seasons. And, and um, Rowers didn't qualify for Europe in 2012 and in the next season. And that was pretty hard to take for, for Shamrock Rovers fans, having been in the Europa League and played in Whiteheart Lane, um, you know, had played Ruben Gazan, had, had played Pauk in Greece. Suddenly there was there was no there was no European trips and critically from a League of Ireland point of view there was no European prize money which is really significant because the prize money for winning the League of Ireland is about a hundred thousand euro and um, whereas the money that you get from qualifying for Europe is, is is multiples of that and if you can get to the group stages of the Europa League you know you're talking about millions which is pretty significant when clubs cost between you know two to four million at the higher end uh, to, to run a, a season. Um, so Trevor Crawley did win what, what we kind of dubbed the the, the travel minor. So it was a, the a travel of, of minor cup competitions. So the Standard Sports Cup, the League Cup, and then the Lancer Senior Cup. But Rovers really didn't, they, they, they didn't impress at all at the towards the top of the table. It really was, um, you know, it was Pats, it was Sligo, then it was Dundalk and Cork. And, and Rovers never put a, title challenge in really only until till last season so uh, Pat Fennan came in to manage the club in kind of 2015 2016 he had been very successful as, as Shelburne manager player manager had, had managed in Scotland as well but again it wasn't very inspiring in terms of, of the football um, and, and they didn't make a, a title challenge and so Stephen Bradley was handed the job in a caretaker capacity in, in 2016 and taking the job full on in 2017 and really what he did was 
he he just had a clear out of the dressing room and um quite important was that Stephen McPhail came in as sporting directors between himself and Stephen Bradley you know they 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 brought about getting the right people in the dressing room and uh, you know, when he was caretaker manager, there was players that was basically let go. It was like, well, we need to to get this out. There was an emphasis on on youth, and we might talk a little bit about the the Shamrock Rovers Academy and the their second team that plays in the first division later on. Um, but what was critical, kind of really the the difference was to get the right attitude of players in, and also to sort out what was happening at the at the back, particularly at the goalkeeping. Um, Rovers have been very successful winning the title in 2010 and 2011 with Alan Manis as, as, as the goalkeeper, the, the former Northern Ireland international. And he moved to, to Scotland. And uh, the joke is really Rovers only became successful when they finally replaced Alan Manis with Alan Manis. So they were able to bring Alan Manis back to the club in, in 2018. Like in 2017, if you look at the stats, they'd only made eight clean sheets in the 33 games in, in the league that season. And they got Alan Manis back in midway through the 2018 season and they also had a young goalkeeper Gavin Bazuna who they promoted in and they got 20 clean sheets uh, that season followed it up last season with 21 which was a record in a 36 game season for for Rovers and and really that was that was crucial because it was a really difficult period in 2018 for for Stephen Bradley um, in that you know they went a 15 game period in the league where they only won three games It, it was in the middle of a also time period where the big derby in Dublin, the the, the the Dublin derby that people talk about is the one between Shamrock Rovers and Bohemians. And while um, Bohemians weren't super successful in, in the league at that time, they just, they, they were almost unbeatable uh, against Shamrock Rovers. Uh, Rovers got one draw and suffered eight defeats in a period of, of nine derbies. So when you, you have that derby defeat after derby defeat and a period where you've three wins in 15 and then Dung Dock came to Tala and, and won 5-2 there was a banner unveiled uh, in the in the uh, in the stand by supporters saying enough is enough uh, it isn't working and like you're really going the time is running out for Stephen Bradley but he was backed fully by the board um, and after that Dundalk defeat he brought in 16 year old Gavin Mazzino as, as goalkeeper in, in the next game he kept a clean sheet Dylan talked about the the game in 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 Cork, where Rovers went down to Turner's Cross, and and uh, Cork City had won every home game that season, and they got a penalty. And uh, Kieran Sadler, I think he scored five that season, hadn't missed one, and he faced sixteen-year-old Bazunu, who who saved it, and and Rovers drew that game, and really, it kind of kicked on. Bazunu held the 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 number one jersey through Europe, like he played as a sixteen-year-old against AIK in, in Stockholm. Rovers took them to extra time. Uh, only to be eliminated and then he picked up an injury and then Alamanis came in and, and then kept that jersey and Bizzuno was subsequently sold to, to Manchester City for about you know 400,000, 500,000 he's, he's currently out on, on loan from there at the minute um, and with Manus at the back bringing in like Rovers spent a fee there's not that many transfer fees that are spent within the League of Ireland uh, they 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 brought Lee Grace from, from Galway United. They, Bradley, one of his first signings was to bring Roberto Lopez in from Bohemians, who played centre-half and a defensive midfielder. Um, and, and really, he's been the most improved player. I think the benefit of, of Rovers' setup, the full-time professional setup, um, he's been absolutely brilliant. People are talking about him as being, being player of the year. Um, and so getting 
the solidity at that back and then bringing in the creativity. So bringing in the likes of Aaron McAniff from, from Derry City, very creative midfielder, bringing goals in as well. And, and probably a crucial signing was was Ronan Finn. So Ronan Finn had played with Shamrock Rovers in the Europa League in 2011 and had won the title. And then he'd moved on to Dundalk with great success and had won couple of league titles with Dundalk. He was part of their 2016 team that qualified for the Europa League. And, and when Rovers were in the Europa League in 2011, they lost all six games. They were competitive in, in most, but but lost all six. But Dundalk, you know, won a game, drew a game and were very, very competitive. And Rovers were able to entice Finn back to to Tallis Stadium. He became the club captain. And, and he, you know, he was there in unsuccessful seasons. He was there in 2018 when, you know, times are tough and, would have been looking at the success in Turner's Cross and success at Oriel Park in particular. Um, but he knew what the club was was about, you know, an experienced player. And then you mentioned there Alan Jack Byrne. So so Rover signed um Jack Byrne, who'd been in the Manchester City Academy, who he played a league on uh, season on loan in, in Holland, um, and then, then had unsuccessful loan spells and and had been in Scotland and had come back to Dublin and people were kind of saying, well, is this um, you know waste of talent? Isn't a player who's not going to to kind of kick on? And uh, but right from the first game that he came back in, the opening game of the season in 20, uh, 2019 against Waterford, he was just absolutely brilliant and uh, was able to then he got capped at, at senior Ireland international level. And there's very there's not that many players that are able to 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 do that. Graham Burke is another player who had been capped. Um, at Rovers, played against France in, a, in a France's World Cup uh, warm-up game uh, just ahead of winning the World Cup and on the back of that had moved to Preston and then Rovers have subsequently re-signed him on, on, on loan and, and having that defensive uh, shape, having that creativity, they, they went close enough last season in the league. They, they, they raced out in 2019 and built up a big build-up and then just kind of some crucial injuries and a couple of bad results, losing to Bohemians, losing to Dundalk. Aaron McAniff being injured for kind of a six-game period was quite crucial. And so they fell away and Dundalk won the league. But what was really critical was that um, Shamrock Rovers had won 24 FAI Cups, the most of any side, but they haven't won it since 1987. And, um, you know, in, in 2010, they had got to the cup final having won the league. And it was kind of a wasted opportunity having won the league for the first time in 2010 since 1994. Kind of winning the double, it was it was maybe a missed opportunity, but Rovers fans were quite happy that they had won the league. Um, but really, the, the millstone of not winning the cup was beginning to maybe not dominate the players because players come and players go. But, but the pressure was coming on from fans and the pressure was coming on every year. Rovers hadn't won the league, hadn't won the FAL Cup in 29 years and 30 years and 31 years and 32 years. Um, I'm probably not helped by, in the past, uh, St. Patrick's Athletic had gone, I think it was 53 years without winning the Cup, but they won the Cup in 2014 and passed the mantle of, um, you know, Cup famine to, to Shamrock Rovers. So, you know, every... The cup specialist was something that was a term that Rovers had been called in the past. You know, they'd won six cups in a row in the in the nineteen sixties. They'd won three doubles in a row in in the nineteen eighties um, when they won four league titles in a row. And so this kind of cup specialist tag was kind of uh, thrown back at them. And so last season in twenty nineteen, 
in the semi-final, they were drawn against Bohemians in Denimel Park, um, where they hadn't won since 2017. Uh, and and they won. Uh, and, and then they played Dundalk in the final and were the better team on the day and um, scored a penalty late on in, in, in the last minute of the game. And then in injury time, Dundalk equalised. And yet Rovers were able to pick themselves up in the in extra time, you know, having experienced players like Joey O'Brien, who played in the Premier League with West Ham and played with Ireland, um, you know, um, the likes of himself, Finn, going right. Well, let's let's go, let's go again. And um, they couldn't find a winner in extra time, but in in the penalty shootout, they 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 prevailed, having lost the 2010 Cup final on penalties, having missed all four of them. But uh, the view was that Alan Manis was always going to save one, and then that uh, Gary O'Neill, who he only realised as he he stepped up, a young player who they signed from UCD, the referee said to him, "If you score this penalty, you win the cup." And he hadn't quite realised that, that was the case, but he had enough bottle to to put it away. And and so to win the cup last year in that manner, also by beating Bohemians in the semi final, it kind of gives it a, a bigger boost. And so the great confidence coming into to this season, Alan, that they would go the extra mile. Yeah, no, for sure. It's certainly an interesting story and a very tumultuous one, um, much like the, the Cork story. But I just want to touch on a club that we both mentioned, we've all mentioned them um, throughout the podcast so far, Dundalk, and just kind of ask about the roots of their success and the kind of uncertain situation they find themselves in going forward because Miguel Delaney had a very interesting piece in the Independent the other day ahead of their game against Arsenal in the Europa League group stages where he kind of touched on how, although from the outside, outside of Ireland, for instance, their story is one of kind of underdog success within Ireland, it's slightly more uh, cloudy, you could say. So just to being with you, Dylan, can you explain the situation with their ownership, uh, their new coach, and why their current success isn't um, kind of a, a pure success, you could say? Like, I suppose if you're, going to, if you're going to look at the Dundalk story, the Dundalk story could be broken into two parts. Like, there was the original trilogy and there was the sequel trilogy. Or, like, uh, then there's going to be... This, uh, that was a really bad Star Wars reference, so I apologise. But there was, like, the original Dundalk story was, like, the club were on the brink back in 2012. There was, like, they literally had begging buckets out at League of Ireland grounds and people were throwing in ones and two euros trying to keep the club af- afloat. They were brought under new ownership in 2012. Stephen Kenny was brought in as manager. And there was this kind of like rags to riches fairy tale of the club who went from beggars buckets and staying up via the playoffs went from went from there to second place in the league, winning the League Cup and the league, winning the League and Cup double, getting into the Europa League group stages to it was just it was literally like a fairy tale almost for like a club from the small the smallest county in Ireland. But in 2007, late 2017, early 2018, they were bought over by a US uh, equity company called Peak Six Investments, who had had shares in Bournemouth in the prim- in the Premier League in England at the, at the time. And their first season under Peak Six, they won the League and Cup double. Last season, they went a kick of a ball away from becoming only the second ever Irish team to win the treble. Or sorry, they missed two penalties in that shootout against Shamrock Rovers. But this season, there's there's a lot of issues which Michael has touched in in that piece. Like they got rid of longtime servant uh, Vinnie Perth from the club after they got beaten in the Champions League and they lost to Sligo Rovers. But the band who they brought in was 
he was former head of the AC Milan summer camps in New York. This is from my understanding. The, yeah. Please correct me here. Uh, so uh, Filippo Giovanoli uh, is his name. He was brought to steady the ship. But then there was a lot of stories coming out of the club at the, t- at the time. Like they want, there was talks of putting a phone into the dugout because the American owners were ringing up the club with like suggestions for like what to do during a game and like where to play certain players. They were supposed to play a friendly against Celtic in Celtic Park, and the owners wanted Dundalk to play, but because of COVID quarantines and COVID restrictions, they would have had to quarantine as soon as they got back into Ireland. So the owners were basically suggesting, so play the under 19 team in the league and the team can quarantine. And then there was also the suggestion, which was mildly put forward, of the club could put bunk beds into their youth development centre and sleep there for two weeks and quarantine together and basically train in the day. And that was it. There was also like very strange signings. Like there was one winger, uh, Josh Gatt. He was signed for the club based off an interview he did on ESPN. And the owner looked at it and said, yeah, yeah, let's sign him. But like the owner himself gave an interview last May, which I think this sums up. He's quite uh, a colourful figure. Uh, Bill Hulsler is his name. Like, if you Google him, BillHulsler.com, he has his own website where he talks about, like, his business and his peace plan for Israel and Palestine. And he also before that he wants Dundalk and he could see Dundalk win the Champions League, which would be quite an achievement because no Irish club has ever gotten to the quarterfinals of of, uh, the Champions League. So it's been quite interesting. And, like, when Giovanoli came in last May, his first game was down in in... Coleman's Park in Cork against Cole Rounders. They won and they were straight into the Europa League that week. They played an Andorra side. They won 1 0 in Andorra, which is an expected result for an Irish team. Then they played Sheriff, who have some European pedigree uh, from Moldova, and they beat them in penalties. And they got to the Europa League playoff round and got uh, Klasnak of the Faroe Islands and beat them. So they're now playing Arsenal, uh, Rapid Vienna and Malda in the Europa League group stages. But the results in the league have been quite poor since they they drew one all with St. Pats on Sunday. They drew one all with Pats at the restart. They were beaten 4-0 by Shamrock Rovers. They were beaten by Bohemians 2-1. They drew Bohemians in all. They were, the results have been quite all over the place domestically, but New York have been quite well. But in between all this, half the squad is out of contract at the end of the season. Something like half a dozen were reported in the Irish Independent of being out of contract at the end then there was also this like very strange story came out in between all this as well i'm going to try uh, i'm going to try and find the exact wording because like I, I probably won't do it justice basically what uh simon blackmore who was the club's licensing officer uh until he walked away from the club he basically he tweeted how representative of peak six had told him that the plan with dundalk was to improve their image at, improve peak six's image as football people so they can invest in multiple european clubs it's it's a very strange story and like strange is the only way i can describe it because you have an owner meddling with the team putting in suggestions like there was one suggestion that they played slugger over his last august and he wanted uh michael duffy who's a winger playing as a center as a, a central attacking midfielder in the game they lost that game there was just there's been so many weird stories Oh, there was the goalkeeper. They wanted to take corner kicks because uh, he does that in training. And they wanted centre-back Brian Gartland to take throw-ins because he likes basketball and he coaches a basketball club. 
Yeah, it's definitely an orthodox story. I read that um, maybe Peak 6 view Dundalk as kind of an ideal laboratory because they can have more control than they would for uh, maybe a bigger European club and a bigger league. So it's kind of like almost, as you said, like a proving ground for them to kind of prove their footballing credentials because they don't come from footballing backgrounds or a Chicago investment firm, I think. But for you, Mike Dara, I just ask from the view from the pale, you could say, um, like how did it feel to see Stephen Kenny achieve such success with Dundalk after leaving Shamrock Rovers while you were going through kind of a rough period? And also, like Shamrock Rovers are top of the table at the moment, they won the league, but Dundalk aren't second. Um, 12 points ahead of Dundalk are Bohemians. I just wanted to ask you about Dundalk's recent success and the kind of looming specter, you could say, of Bohemians, because aside from their abilities on the pitch, they've been developing their off-the-pitch image. They've been really gathering quite an international kind of, you know, to, to use the word Bohemian following, kind of a left-wing following. So I just wanted to ask you about the work they've done off the pitch um, and how that's kind of contributed to them emerging as a real challenger to Dundalk's kind of crown of the main challenger to Shamrock Rovers at the moment. Yeah, talking about Dundalk first, it was it was hard for Shamrock Rovers fans. Um, one of the things that during the the period from kind of 1987 onwards, when Rovers were playing in various grounds around Dublin, they they weren't successful on the pitch, and and the only thing that kind of kept the club going was that historical success. So the fans would talk about winning four in a row in the 1980s, winning those four league titles in a row, and and there probably was a fear that. Dundalk might go on to match that and, and emulate that. So they did win three titles in a row. Um, but Cork came in and, and won that one title. And then Dundalk came back and won another two. And you're going, okay, well, what is it? It was success. And then to cap it, it was Stephen Kenny being successful when it had been, you know, had been a failure at Shamrock Rovers. Um, and people outside the club would say that Rovers were too quick to, to, um, were too quick to let Stephen Kenny go and would the better thing have been to clear out the dressing room rather than clear out the manager who couldn't motivate that dressing room at, at the time. Um, and But Kenny had been successful before he came to Shamrock Rovers so there was no, his face just didn't fit at Rovers at the time and he was able to, he had great success at Derry City where it's a one club town where the the town, well, the city in terms of Dundalk, it's a town. Both locations galvanise around their their football clubs. They they are the the one club in in those locations, and um and he was able to at, at Derry and at and Dundalk kind of galvanise access to really be at a club side. Whereas it's it's different for particularly probably Dublin clubs where you know there's kind of four main clubs, five clubs in in the in the city, and people. You know, the attendance is a League of Ireland grounds. You know, if you're averaging 3,000, you're, you're doing well. Whereas you're in Dundalk, the town galvanized around Stephen Kenny's side and he just brought players in. He was able to bring, you know, probably Chris Shields, probably the only player that was was involved right from, from the start. And um, so, yes, yeah, so that was probably, uh, that was a difficult, but they, they, they won five out of six league titles. And Certainly, coming into 2010, it was like they were going to be the main rivals, and and you know ahead of the COVID break, like with the summer season that we have, uh, Rovers have won five out of five, including a three-two win over Dundalk. Probably nothing the fourth game of the season, and so going into the long COVID break, Rovers only had a, a three-point lead, um, but coming back after that, you know they haven't lost a game uh, as as we're talking now, and um, they won the 18. 
game season with four games to, to spare. But Dundalk just nosedived after that. So Vinnie Perth, who was a manager, um, you know, the results in the league didn't didn't after the break didn't work out at all. And even with Filippo Giannavanoli, the, the results haven't been great. They are they still need a point to qualify for Europe for next season, which which they should get to. So um, you know, really probably four weeks after the season returned in kind of uh, August, it, it really looked like Dundalk definitely weren't going to be the challengers, and the challengers would be would be Bohemians. And if we talk maybe first about on field, like they've been, uh, this finishing runners up will be their best appearance in the league since uh, I think in twenty ten when they finished runners up to to Shamrock Rovers. Um, and their manager Keith Long has been very. Um, clever and getting young players in, particularly players who have come back from England, um, you know, returning to Ireland. So there's some uh, really developed some players in the likes of Dawson Devoy, Danny Grant, um, uh, James Talbot as, as goalkeeper. So uh, you know they 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 finished runners up um, and Rovers beat them one nil in the first game of the season, played in dreadful conditions back in in mid February, and they beat them one nil in Tala at the in the first week in September in two very close games um, could have gone either way I think Rovers were Rovers got a very late winner in the, the first game in Tallow they got a very early goal I think scored within the first three minutes and not that they sat back but they were happy enough with that 1-0 result knowing if they could even get a draw that was probably going to be good enough and really for that result in the 5th of September it, you know it was Rovers' league title to lose um, and but Bose, Bose kept going um, wrapped up runners up spot again last week with a couple of games to games to spare. Um and and maybe talking about off the field, yeah, like last season when they were basically most of their home games were a sellout. So the, their main stand um would be full of home fans every week and then the, the away stand would be uh, available. So they were uh, they must have averaged certainly in excess of two thousand over the season. And um there's an atmosphere about Bohemians, so they have the the they do a lot of work in the community. So they do a lot of you know refugees welcome is on their their their, their way strip. They have plenty of murals in the ground of of um, you know Tim Lizzie who who played there and and Bob Marley who played in a concert there. And they have a refugees welcome um, uh, mural outside, even one for Jack Charlton, the the Republic of Ireland manager who passed away earlier on the season and um, you know things like working in the community working working in the prison that's that close to them which is you're not going to attract more fans because of that but it shows that they talk about being being more than a club and having made a decision maybe partly forced upon them of, of not moving out of Dalyman Park but actually staying there they've really invested um I suppose money and invested time in the community there, and and trying to instill that they're the club that people might come to see in the city centre. Like if um when people when fans travel, football fans travel to Dublin, they'll go to Dalyman Park because this is the closest ground to the uh, to the city centre, and there's a bit of an atmosphere about the place. So um you know they have the bars there, they have their own uh, they're brewing their own brewing their own beer, I think, or maybe it's their own gin. So. You know, outside of it, people might 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 um, you know maybe mock that, but it's these are the types of things that you make the football going to match more. Not just about what's happening on the pitch, but it's it's you know as every football sport knows, it's about going with your friends and family. 
And if you can heighten that experience, you'll get fans to, to come back week in, week out. So we're just hoping that in the 2021 season that we will be able to to get fans coming back in. And maybe just one thing I might just add is in terms of, of finance. So they're, they're, they're a fully owned fan-zone club. So Shamrock Rovers operate kind of a hybrid model where they have um, uh, 25% is owned by Ray Wilson, 25% is owned by Dermot Desmond, who's one of the um, richest men in, in Ireland and one of the, the main um, stakeholders in, in Celtic. Um, but Bowser are a fan-zone club. But they have got a nice windfall this season and that they sold Matt Doherty to Wolves, um, I don't know, it was probably nine or ten years ago, maybe at this stage. And uh, But they included a sell-on clause. And so when he moved to Spurs um, earlier this year, they've got 10% of that. So it was, it's certainly in excess of, of, of one million sterling coming their way. So they'll, they've, they've got some money that will help uh, invest within the club, which is, you know, part-time. Many of their players would would have jobs outside of, whereas Dundalk, Shamrock Rovers would be um, virtually full-time professional. Um, but their attitude, Bohemian's attitude is certainly professional, but players would also work away from that. So um, whether they can step on and, and, and really, you know, mount a, a full title challenge next season remains to be seen because they have... Had difficulty hanging on to some some of the players where, um, you know, who have gone to England or maybe have gone to elsewhere. So, you know, Shamrock Rovers of of Dylan Motts who they signed from from Bohemians, you know, two seasons ago. So, that that's the challenge for for Keith Long and, and his assistant manager Trevor Colley next year. Yeah, for sure. Um, and just Dylan, just to ask you, um, I remember some quite intense games between Bohemians, especially in Cork City down the years and Turners Cross. Um, what's the relationship between Cork and Dublin football? And what's also the consequences of Cork City's relegation? Um, and what it means for League of Ireland football outside of the pale, you could say? This might sound, for people who aren't Irish, Cork and Dublin are like chalk and cheese. It's like, I suppose, the best way to describe it is like, to anyone who follows English football, you know, you have that sense of scouse for we're not scouse we're English. That's the kind of sense of like the kind of what Corkness is of like, oh, we're not from Cork, we're not from Ireland, we're from Cork. Well, we are Irish, but it's Cork first, Ireland second. So what when it comes to Dublin, it's like when people like Liverpool versus game when Liverpool play in London. The same for Manchester. So like, Cork and Bohemians have had always a historic rivalry because it's always been Cork versus Cork versus Dublin. So like. It's been, I suppose, you're going back to like, was it the 1992 FEI Cup final when Bohemians beat Cork up in Dalymount Park? Uh, it was a 92, around that time, they played them in the Cup final. So there is a historical rivalry there, but it's, it's, it's embedded into, I suppose, this, this Cork versus Dublin thing. Like Cork Shelburne was a real rivalry going back in the, in the mid 2000s, especially when Shells won the league in 2003, for City won in 2005, Shells won it in 2006. Bohemians have always had that thing with Cork, especially over, it's the whole Cork versus Dublin thing. But in itself, the League of Ireland, I suppose, if you're looking at the city's relegation right now, the league needs a strong Cork city. Like, imagine the English Premier League without without Liverpool, without Everton, without having a strong voice from Merseyside, without having a Manchester club. Like, Cork is the second biggest city, in, is the biggest county in Ireland, the second, the second city we as a county have a population of over 400,000 people. And if you look like the names who've come from Cork in terms of football, you've Roy Keane, Dennis Irwin, uh, Adam Eda, who currently plays for Norwich in the championship, Johnny Egan, Kevin Long, uh, Stephen Ireland, 
uh, Colin Healy, who's currently the Cork City interim manager. So it's a huge footballing city in itself. And as a result of that, the league needs a strong Cork because otherwise the geographical balance in the league for next season, if with, with 10 teams, it would be Shamrock Rovers, Bohemian, St. Pat's, uh, Shelburne, Drogheda, Dundalk, who are all based within the, the, the greater Dublin area. And like, I mean, that with no disrespect to the clubs, they're all great f- football clubs, but the league needs a strong Cork City. Like there, there would be a Waterford and uh, a Derry. But Cork is a city with a strong culture, a sense of identity in terms of its football. I know the club is in a rebuilding process at the moment. Just imagine if Liga didn't have... Marseille, maybe. Marseille, yeah. Uh, apologies, my knowledge of French football. <laughs> I hit or miss. I mistakenly once said in a bar in Strasbourg, I don't mind PSG, and got the head taken off me. <laughs> I suppose this could be the best thing for the league overall, though, because the league needs a strong, stable Cork club. And like, if you look at... I suppose the best example I can give of this is... If, I don't know if any of you follow Argentinian football, but River Plate were relegated back in 2011, used the relegation, got promoted from the, the B division and went up and won three Copa Argentinas, the Libertadores in 2015-2018, and one of the league titles, because their system confuses me greatly, back in 2014. So, like, Argentinian football admitted that was a, a poor... It was a, it was a time when it was lacking, because they needed the derby, the Super Classico. It was a bit like Scottish football without having Rangers. They needed Rangers for a strong league, because they're, they bring so much. And it's the same for Cork. But Cork are going to, going to come back stronger because the league needs them. Mm. I think like no matter what, Cork City will be playing Shamrock Rovers next season. But there's two Shamrock Rovers in Irish football right now. So, McDara, I wanted to ask you about Shamrock Rovers too um, and their relationship to this first team setup. And also, I wanted to ask you whether you think that Rovers are perhaps placed to dominate Irish football in a way that Dundalk couldn't sustain and the significance of them having two teams in a two-division system. Yeah, back in 2014, Rovers put a B team into the, the second tier, into the first division, and, and it only really lasted one season. And um, it was The view was it was probably too soon because what Rovers have done since then is really invest in in their academy. So they have a, a leasing arrangement in, in Roadstone so, uh, Sports uh, Club, Close enough to close enough to Tala, a couple of miles away from from Tala Stadium, where they play their games, um, and they've invested heavily in that, and and that's why it's this hybrid model of ownership that I talked about. That Rovers um, secured funding, an interest free loan from from Ray, Ray Wilson, who's a Shamrock Rovers supporter, who had put significant money into the club during the examination period, um, and subsequently he lives in Australia, but he's put money in since then to invest in that, and similarly with with Dermot Desmond putting in a, a, a two million euro stake um, last season, and so they have a, you know, they have the setup there with a, a pitch, the full astro pitch, um, grass pitches, kind of outdoor gym as well, and, and a, a changing room. So, um, and they've invested with that, and that's where all their underage play, teams play. So they have, like all League of Ireland clubs, they have teams in the under under nineteen, under seventeen under 15 and under 13 uh, league but they've they've really kind of invested in that other clubs have maybe do partnership arrangements with schoolboy clubs so Bohemians are linked up with St Kevin's and other clubs are are but what Rovers have done is they've they've made their own club and they've they've brought players in to try and 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 uh, develop into the first team because 
they haven't really done that in 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 the past. So Gavin Bazunu was one of those players who had been with the club, I think, since he was uh, probably eleven or eleven or twelve. Um, but there's no reserve league in the League of Ireland, so there's this gap when you get to under nineteen level. There's then this gap up into the um, Premier Division and First Division. The League of Ireland is one of the younger leagues across Europe, so the average the, the average age of the player is 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 lower. I think we're probably talking about kind of 23, 24, but certainly it's lower compared to the rest of, of Europe. So there are opportunities there. But if you're winning the if you're winning the league, it's maybe a bit difficult for players to kind of break through. Um, so Rovers had lent players to other League of Ireland clubs. Um, but what the what they've done this season was that they put a team into the first division. And it's mainly made up of of under 19 players and, and younger. Um, and it was quite controversial. Most of the, in fact, all of the first division clubs didn't really want that. They they worried about the sporting integrity of having a B team in the division. Now, the rules are, in 2014, Rovers were allowed three overage players. But the rules this year was they were allowed um, a, a, an overage goalkeeper, if you like. So Rovers' reserve team or reserve goalkeeper, Leon Poles, played most of the time. He's 24. And then they were allowed one overage player. So a player who was born before... Um, uh, 2000 so that's kind of the cutoff cutoff date but they only used that twice so Liam Scales played one game and he scored in a, a 2-0 draw and then Sean Kavanagh played two games um, just towards the end of the season he was returning from a season-long injury and, and he played two games so um, and then only Dean Williams has played uh, has started for the Rovers senior team in the Premier Division and also in the First Division so they've mainly used um Younger players, they've used 34 players in total, average age of about 18. Um, a little bit controversial in the last two games, they played a 14 um, year old um, Sam Curtis, who's quite developed physically. You look at him and go, he definitely doesn't look like a 14 year old. And they also played one 15 year old Kevin Zeffi, um, but mostly off the bench. So he made 11 appearances, but eight of them off the bench. Um, so they, they've, they've used a lot of the um, kind of under 17, under 19, and given them great uh, experience playing in the division. So they, they finished uh, eighth place. So they, they beat the teams that were below them and were, were competitive without, um, you know, challenging, which isn't really a surprise judging by the age of players that they have. Um, and, and probably crucially in, I think it was six games, they, they let goals in and the, from the 82nd minute onwards, I think, which caused them to drop points. So that's probably was, was the difference. And so, Alan, yeah, you asked, are, are, are Rovers ripe to dominate? Like, if we go back to maybe our starting point in this conversation where we're, people were saying, maybe myself included, that Rovers might dominate in 2011, um, they're certainly a better place to maybe dominate going forward now in, in the academy structure that they have, um, which is led by Shane Robinson, who's a, a former uh, Rovers player. Um, He's the academy director. That Stephen Bradley and and Stephen McPhail, the kind of setup that they have. I think also if we're comparing with Dundalk, is that um, you know Rovers have invested in their youth setup. I don't think we've really seen that in, in Dundalk. They've gone out and bought players. The Shamrock Rovers have done that as well, but they also have developed players through into their into their team. I think also the stadium situation is 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 different. So Rovers um, leased stadium from. South Dublin County Council, uh, and it's an eight thousand all-seater stadium, and the councillor are putting plans in to develop a fourth stand, which will bring it up to ten thousand. So it's quite a modern stadium. When it gets up to ten thousand, it certainly will be the best stadium for a League of Ireland club, uh, and it'll be the biggest uh, capacity. Whereas Oriel Park, 
really hasn't changed since really the 1980s and and uh, everyone would agree inside the club as well and Dundalk that it's it's kind of substandard it, it meant that um they couldn't play their game against Malda in the Europa League in Oriel Park so they actually played it in Tala Stadium um they were looking to play it in the Aviva Stadium they'll be playing Arsenal um, and, and Rapid Vienna there um later on and and so if crowds come back and, and Rovers can get, you know, regular crowds. Like that game against Dundalk earlier on in the season was the biggest League of Ireland tenants in Tallis Stadium. There was 7,000 at that game. So if you're able to, um, you know, get those types of, of crowds that uh, there's the squad that Rovers have, they do have some older players in there. I mentioned Alan Manis and, and Joey O'Brien. They're not going to be around for, for, for that much, much longer. And the challenge, Stephen Brown has talked about it, is that the challenge is that Rovers can't can't really go out and buy a, a certain player that might block the talent that's coming forward, and that's going to be a balancing act for 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 Rovers. That players need to be given the chance to actually step in and play in the Premier Division and play in that 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 first team. But I think if you look at the the stadium, you look at the squad, and you look at um, qualifying as into Europe, going into the Champions League, and then having this champions route, and um, Dundalk and Dylan talked about the route Dundalk had. They made the most of a favourable draw, but it was a they earned that as well from the success that Dundalk have had in Europe in the previous seasons. It meant that they were seeded. It meant that they were champions, and it's very very difficult for an Irish club to get into the group stages of the Europa League just through the Europa League element. Like Dylan spoke about um, Cork City's challenge. You know, to to go through three rounds and to go through four rounds and to try and qualify into Europa League. But if you're in the Champions route and you get through the first round, you're able to drop down and and you have this kind of parachute where you can get into the Europa League. Then you'd still need to go and, and win it. But you're playing champions of other um, uh, countries in Europe, so you're not necessarily going to go and, and and get one of the bigger necessarily get one of the bigger clubs, particularly if if you're seeded. And so if Rovers can can do that. Particularly as the qualify the amount of money for getting to the Europa League is is six to seven times it was now, than when Rovers got there in twenty eleven. That um, yeah, the 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 other clubs might kind of fear that in the past League of Ireland fans would kind of like oh I'd like kind of teams to, to uh, their rivals or maybe other clubs maybe not necessarily the direct rivals to do well in Europe, and that's probably not as much the case. Um, in the last couple of seasons, particularly just because the money is so large that actually, you know, the Dundalk are going to earn the six to seven million. And is that going to be a game changer? You know, you look at clubs elsewhere, maybe the likes of Rosenberg um, and other clubs in, um, you know, Bate in, in, in other European countries who've really just dominated because of being successful in Europe. Um, and so maybe other other fans of other clubs might necessarily want Shamrock Rovers to be successful in Europe, but certainly they have all the elements um, to to do that. And if they can make the most of a phase of favourable draw, um, it, it, that could well be the case. It would certainly be interesting to follow it and, um, as football returns next season. Um, but just as a parting shot from both of you, if I could ask you for your feelings on the immediate kind of future of Irish football on a domestic sense, and what you think about the kind of murmurs about uh, all Ireland League as well, and merging the North with the South. So, if so, you Dylan, what do you think about the immediate future of Irish football domestically, and also the prospects of an All Ireland League? I feel like chaos in Irish football has always been around the corner, 
like if you look at the 2000s when when you had shells drahada cork city shamrock rovers bohemians they all Derry city they all went to the wall so chaos whatever football is always around the corner it's like it's almost like a friend of ours in a in a weird way but i feel like the problem was with all the chaos that irish football has historically had we there was never a pandemic so like at the moment the things are so up in the air of like over covid over clubs not having gate receipts which is their main form of income on top of that the fei is ca- are cast strapped and i don't know if if anyone listening to this has any idea what has happened with the fei over the last i suppose 18 months but the organization has basically imploded due to the mismanagement from above by a former ceo which led to the tap being turned off by the Irish government for funding. The organization needed to be rebuilt. And the, so there's this mass kind of restructuring of the organization. But so there's there's so much uncertainty. But in between all this, there is this idea for a cross-border all-island league, which I'm totally in favor of. Like, I feel like Irish, we need to start embracing what the wider trend is in European, like in world and European football. And a cross-border league is something which was done in the women's leagues in Belgium and, and the Netherlands, I think it was a three or four years ago. And there's talks of a wider Benelux league between Belgium, Luxembourg and Belgium, Luxembourg and the Netherlands. So like it is, it isn't a totally foreign idea. And like there was cross border football in Ireland up until 1914. And after that, there was the IFA cup. So like it isn't a total foreign idea, but like we need to think outside the box of what ways can we can regenerate, reconfigure Irish football in itself, because both leagues and both sides of the the border are struggling to will struggle to a certain extent because of COVID, uh, more so down here because we have the uncertainty with the the FEI, and like in itself in terms of marketing, it seems like slightly ingenious of like you have clubs from let's say Linfield who are Linfield are a big name in its own right versus Shamrock Rovers, and like. There is a historical, like, political dimension to it as well. But in itself, in terms of the, the football, there is that novelty of they're playing Linfield, an actual league game. That's not, like, like a European game. Because I know Rovers played Linfield back in the, the European Cup in the, the 80s. But, like, there was that novelty factor with it. And there's also the travelling thing, which fans will love. Like, of the fact that fans would get to go to away games in Belfast, in the outskirts of Derry up in Coleraine. So, like, there's so much positive they can take from it. But they have to do it right like in itself like watch LOI has been a fantastic streaming service for like boosting the exposure of the league the FBI admitted, admitted that last August last September so like there's so much room to build off that with like a streaming service for expats for for people who have vague either vague interest in Irish football or just this experiment in itself but the problem is we're trying the idea is put forward at a time of Brexit uh brexit covid and the fei basically being in total disarray so like we live in very uncertain times but there is a way forward because we're used to dealing with chaos in ireland yeah definitely definitely and for you mike Dara, what's your thoughts on the future of irish domestic football and the all island league yeah i think uh dylan summed it up very well there in terms of the the difficult times that the league of ireland faces so football right across the world is facing difficult times because of covid um in Ireland, you know, in other leagues, there's quite a lot of money comes into the clubs through TV deals, but there's none in the League of Ireland, which is why the, they, they developed the streaming service to watch LOI um, during the pandemic so that people could watch games when you couldn't go to the ground. So so everything is contingent on 
you know, what getting fans back next year is also contingent on the FAI, you know, getting over the financial hole that they're that they're in, not helped by the the men's senior team not qualifying for the European Championships, which would have been a nice nice windfall. In relation to the the All Ireland League, I, I'm a little bit unsure about it. Like I would have um, travelled to a fair few time sports games uh, when that competition, that All Ireland Cup competition, kind of started again in the kind of the 2000s, um, and you know it was it was really interesting going to you know going to grounds that you'd never been to and uh, a competition that. But what happened was mainly the League of Ireland clubs kind of dominated and it was the difficulty was trying to find a space in the competition. The Irish League in the North plays a winter season and, and in the Republic we play a summer season and trying to get those to, to match with the European leagues happening as well. So um, there is also kind of a safety concern in terms of like there will be a lot of security costs for some of the high-profile games. That's just the nature of of, of, of the situation and you'd, you'd hope that wouldn't be the case, but... Um, you know, if when Linfield play Shamrock Rovers or or you know Glentoran are playing Bohemians, you know there there will be that element about it, and I don't think this is getting away from it. But I think if the fans see the benefit of of playing these games from a financial point of view, that um, there's there's the most complicated uh, scheme has been put together as to how this competition might work. There's been various uh, ways that they're trying to put it together, but it does seem like there'd still be a, a Northern Ireland League and a Republic of Ireland League, if you like, a League of Ireland and an Irish League. And then, uh, so you would have those kind of local games, local rivalries, and then you would have maybe later on in the season the kind of a competition where the the, 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 the teams from the, the two different leagues will will meet, um, and then the benefit is 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 bringing the money in, so that, that there is the interest seemingly uh, externally from TV companies to 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 put some money to invest money in, which will come back into the league. And I think if clubs see the benefit of that money flowing back into the league, uh, and then you get these competitive games happening, then I think it will be what people will want but I think we're a while away from it yet and the difficulty is that you're trying to bring that new competition in when everything else is happening in relation to the FAI in relation to into, in relation to COVID I think that's a real difficulty Yeah there's certainly a lot going on um, but listen guys thanks so much for joining me today I thought it was a very interesting uh, discussion and shone a lot of light into the kind of complex dynamics of the League of Ireland and Irish football in general. Just before we leave, could, yeah, Dylan, um, where can people find you and do you have any pieces to plug or any projects in the goal that you'd like to publicise? Uh, Judge Dill is my Twitter handle if anyone ever wants to get in contact. Uh, I mostly tweet about Irish football and occasionally about Liverpool and American, and American football. Um. Just check out extratime.com, which means MacDara bought right with. Brilliant. And MacDara, for you, do you have any, um, where can people find you? And do you have any pieces to plug or anything like that? Yeah, I'm at MacDara Bueller. So MacDara Ferris is my name. So it's a, it's a, a, a spin on that one. And yeah, as Dylan says there, I'm, uh, both myself and Dylan write with um, extratime.com. So I'm, I'm usually writing about Shamrock Rovers. Uh, and in terms of, of plug, yeah, well, you mentioned there was a piece I did for the 42.ie um, last week, just on just talking about that journey for, for Shamrock Rovers. So if people are on board, having listened to it, you can also uh, read about it there. So no, thanks a lot. Brilliant. And as always, I'm your host, Alan Feely. You can find me at Azul Feely on Twitter. Um, I have a recent long meetup uh, celebrating Diego Maradona's 60th birthday. He looks at his career in Spain, in Barcelona, 
1982 World Cup in Sevilla. Spoke to some people very close from Frisiera, so you'll find some interesting stories there. Um, but other than that, that's pretty much it for today. Um, we'll see you the next time with a new show and a new country and a new topic. So uh, until then, take care. Thanks, guys. Bye.